Good morning and welcome to the Dirty Dog Dryland podcast. I'm Jamie Perry, your host, and I'm very excited today for episode two to have with me a dear friend, Beth Castaldi. Beth has been a musher for quite some time and has been integral in a lot of events, mentoring and everything else here in the state of Wisconsin and I know out east as well. So Beth, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. People in our our little area know you quite well, and I know you've got a tremendous reputation, but would you take a couple minutes and ex- introduce yourself a little bit and your history of mushing? Sure. So um, I started with sled dogs about 1973, 72, 74, somewhere in that area, um, as, as many of us have done, started with a single husky. And as we used to say in Pennsylvania all the time, you can't have just one. So we grew from there. I was very, very fortunate to have a very experienced mentor. And that would be John Mulberg. And he was kind enough to take several newcomers to the world of sled dogs under his wing and got us started with how to do things as far as working with the dogs, the equipment we needed, all that sort of thing. Uh, We were very lucky that we had a very active group of mushers, and that would, of course, be the Pennsylvania Sled Dog Club. And uh, some of us are still involved in the sport today. And, of course, John and Nancy are still very involved and still mentoring people and helping them out. I did do racing, winter racing in uh, Pennsylvania, and then a career change in the early 1980s took me to Indiana, where I had to drop out of uh, racing for several years. However, I did bring some of my older dogs with me. And I was very fortunate to find Ken, who is still my wonderful partner and supporter in this sport. And my older dogs helped him learn. And uh, from there, we were able to retire early. And we are now in Wisconsin. And there, we, we very carefully selected where we wanted to move in our retirement. We wanted to find an active mushing community. And we did find that in this area. And we're still very active and love working with the dogs. And especially, of course, appreciate sharing the sport with other enthusiasts. It's been our absolute privilege to work with some juniors. And several of them are still active in the sport. So that kind of brings us where where we are today. Very cool. I appreciate that. You and Ken have definitely been a tremendous help to my kennel. So I, I want to just put that out that the, the mentoring that John started with you has transitioned through the generations. So I, I think a lot of us appreciate your activism in helping bring new people to the sport. Thank you. It's our pleasure. <laughs> There's two things that brought your name to the top of the list for um, a podcast interview. The first one is the actual Dirty Dog Dryland Derby. That is probably, I think by all research, the longest running sanctioned dryland race, is your sanctioned dryland race in the country. 
there is another one out east that hasn't been sanctioned the entire time, but uh, we'll, we'll get to talk to them as well. But could you tell us a little bit about the Dirty Dog Dryland Derby, how it got started, where the idea came from? You bet. I would be happy to do that. It started, and I sometimes can't believe how long ago it was, but it started in 2006. And I was very fortunate to have partners, and they they actually started it and then included me in the group, in Amy Cooper. Some of you may remember her as being a very successful winter racer as well as dryland racer. She's no longer active as far as being on the racing trail, but still very supportive, does lots of things to help out races in the area. And then also our dear friends, Paul and Beth Wagner. They're the ones that initially conceived the idea of doing dryland racing in the Midwest. So we got together, came up with a plan, and essentially we approached the Wisconsin Trailblazers Sled Dog Club and convinced them. There were some folks that weren't sure that it was going to be a successful endeavor, but um, we approached them and were able to secure their support in getting the race going. And two other things happened that made the race very successful. And that is the fact that we found an excellent location for the event. And that is at the Makajawan Scout Camp here in Pearson, Wisconsin. And another important, very important factor was the fact that the manager and his staff of the camp were very, very supportive of the race. And then secondly, because we were brand new, nobody ever even heard of dry land racing. We approached our local community. Uh, we are located in Langley County, Wisconsin, and we are near the, the city of Anago. While Anago was a very successful winter racing venue, they had not heard of or done anything with dry land racing. So we approached the city, we approached many of the businesses and secured not only their financial support, but also support in helping us promote the event, um, just generally making it a very positive situation. So that gave us a really strong footing to get this event going. And I had forgotten until I started when Jamie indicated she wanted to interview me about the Dirty Dog. I had forgotten about a lot of that, but a lot of people, organizations um, certainly supported us in getting the dry land sport as a whole going in the Midwest. It's, it is a tremendously well-supported event through the community. Um, I can't get over year after year returning sponsors that we see and then new people willing to jump on board with that race. You guys just set a foundation. I don't think that could be rocked by much of anything. And as a participant, I appreciate that knowing that race is going to be there year after year. So you got everything in place. How did that first race go? You know, it went well. It went, it went well considering everything was new. It was new to the racers. It was new to the race officials. It was new to the dogs. Obviously, it's different equipment than you use 
than a sled that you use in the wintertime or even skis. And one of the, the factors that we found that was quite different is a number of our events involve a single leader. And most of our dogs at that point were used to running with a partner in front of a sled team. So it, it was a it was a departure from what we considered normal or usual. And in spite of it, we had tremendous support from the mushing community. And again, I looked up our information from 2006 and I discovered that we had 68 teams entered for this first event. That included juniors, included canicross, bike sharing, um, scootering, and of course the rig class. I noticed a number of names that I know, but they weren't necessarily known as competitive racers on the winter race trail, which made me feel good. And, and one of the, the focus points when we first started this race and continues, I know the people that are still working with the organization of the rent of the event, um, that we want to make sure everyone feels welcomed at the event. You don't have to be a competitive racer. You can be a newcomer, you can be a recreational uh, racer. So that was one of our big focuses. And the second one, of course, was safety. And we came up with, right from the get-go, we came up with our, our little slogan. And that, that was, come have a blast with your dog or dogs. And we wanted this to be an all-inclusive weekend, not just about the racing on the trail, but other fun things associated with the race. Yeah, I uh, actually I was at that first race. Beth Wagner and Ken talked me into uh, to participating. It was it was just really cool to see. It was my first race ever, so it was all very overwhelming. But I know something that I have appreciated since that first event at a lot of dryland events now. And Robert Forto and I talked about it in the last episode. With dryland, we get a lot more socialization, I think, because the temperatures aren't quite so cold. The weather's not so atrocious. It seems people tend to hang out more after the race is over with, camp at the race site, so they get to hang out and uh, and spend time with each other quite a bit more. But also something you guys have really put a focus on is you've done door prize drawings, which kind of keeps people around and getting to know each other. And I know your puppy fun run is always an absolute favorite of everyone. In, indeed, indeed. We, we've we always attempted, I mean, it's important, the racing is important, don't get me wrong. And um, since the very beginning, uh, we did sanction it with the International Sled Dog Racing, ISDRA, and also then with IFSS. So there there is a competitive component involved, but definitely want it to be fun. I totally agree with Jamie. It can be a more relaxed event because you're not out on the trail for the length of time that you are in the winter races. And we try to have some good food. We tried to have good food to eat, which has worked out well, not only from the point of yummy things to eat, but we also used it as a fundraiser for the event. And we had a lot of volunteers, the Langley County Sled Dog Club, which is the local training club was very active in the early years with doing the food service, which, and still some of those folks that started with us in 2006 are still doing food service at the Dirty Dog now. So, you know, we can't say enough about 
how important volunteerism has been and also financial support. It's been really good. And we can't forget the dirty dog shirts. <laughs> uh, that's that's something we started. I believe 2008 was the first year we had, had them. And we had some fun working with uh, establishing a logo. We, we offered a, a kind of a competition and people would submit ideas for our logo. And we're still using that logo today. It's tweaked a little bit, but yeah, we've, we've really worked hard to try to make it again, not only about the race, but about all the other fun things around it. So do you think if you and Beth and Amy sat down, did you envision that this race would become what it is today? Never, (laughs) never. (laughs) We were, we weren't sure. I mean, while we thought we had something good going on here, we just didn't know how, how it would a hundred percent be received. I mean, we certainly knew that we we wanted to establish something where mushers could enjoy their their dogs past just the winter season. And certainly, considering the weather, as I look out my window now <laughs> at the beginning of February and see nothing but brown, we felt that the dry land season could lengthen the time that we, we could be out on the trail with our dogs, which, of course, we all enjoy no matter what type of racing you like to do. So in that respect, we we think it's been very successful. And the other thing is the number of dogs that you need. You don't have to have four or five or six or eight dogs in your kennel in order to enjoy dry land events. You You can do it with one dog or two, as we all know. So, but to this extent, I can't say that we thought it was going to be this successful. Like I said, you guys really, really planted a foundation that isn't going to budge, I don't think. But it's been very cool as a participant to to watch the changes from the first event to just this last year in equipment. It just astounds me how that first year it was big, heavy risen rigs and stripped down ATVs to uh, this year, all these beautiful high tech rigs and bikes have gotten so much lighter and faster and the scooters it's it's so impressive the the change that you've gotten to see because of the the uh, history of the race it, exactly and the other thing that i find very interesting is the drivers themselves you know now when you see a bikering team it's a biker a person i mean it doesn't have to be but the competitive teams i mean they're people that you know, are very experienced mountain bikers or road bikers in the scooter class. You know, you see people that are pedaling hard to help their teams. And that wasn't necessarily, I mean, when we first started out, it was more or less like, oh, how can I stay upright on this? So not only has the equipment improved, but also the actual um, human athletes themselves. So it's been a hand-in-hand situation where there's certainly been improvement. And we have, as far as the Dirty Dog is concerned, each year the trail is tweaked a little bit. And because the teams are more competitive, we've worked on making sure that the trail is, is safe and is appropriate for the the quality of the team that we have now racing. I know that there's always a long list of beginners at this race. This is probably 
as you established it to be one of the most beginner friendly races there is. We get a lot of questions during signups, how the trails are, and people are worried sometimes. But could you give us just a little description of what the trail is like in general? You you bet. I'd be happy, happy to. So the trail actually is used, just to give you a little bit of history, is actually used by the scouts. Initially, it was not very defined when when we first went out to check it out. I remember we were using a small pickup truck and we were sitting on the back of the tailgate, some of us, and one of the scout people drove us through the potential trails and, and we checked it all out. But it was somewhat marginal, let's say. So uh, fortunately, the scouts gave us permission to go through there, clean it, clean it all out. It worked out really well. It was relatively narrow in the beginning through mostly woods. There were a couple of open fields. There are some flat areas, but then there were also some hilly areas, not not hills where you go, oh my gosh, there are a couple of turns. And in the beginning, there there actually was an S-curve that, uh, you know, fortunately the trail, the teams were a little bit slower then, so they were able to navigate it without trouble. But soon we discovered that we need to get rid of that S-curve. And that's where the support of the Boy Scout staff itself became extremely important because they went through there and took that S-curve out. But I do have to say one thing, when we took it out, and it was, I think, the third year of the race it was gone, but I had a couple of the racers come up and say, why did you take that out? That was the best part of the race, <laughs> versus other ones or other people were going, oh, I'm so glad you took that S-curve out. So it's kind of interesting, um, different people's perception. But the trails are have been... Um, as I mentioned, tweaked every year. The corners are, over the years, have been banked. They've Culverts have been put in. So if it happens to be a rainy year, the water is no longer laying on the trail. Yeah, it's been widened. And it, it's a fun trail through, like I said, mostly through the woods. So there's some variety. The one thing, as far as our own personal dogs were concerned, they love that trail. You know, it's it's got different corners for them and uphills and downhills it works out very well it's, a, it's just an I think it's just a, a pretty it's not maybe ideal but it's a pretty darn good trail for a dry land race yep I would definitely agree the dirty dog not sure you guys when you named it realized how aptly put that name was going to be <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> there is that I totally agree with you I, the number of pictures that we get year after year of dirty faces, dirty dogs, muddy equipment, it is quite entertaining to just kind of say that that was just very well named and that that race has, has had its fair share of weather events to make it difficult. Indeed. And I, I'm pretty sure the name came from the fact that we're racing on dirt. I'm almost positive that's that's how that word happened to come up. And yes, there have been years where it's rained. There have been years where it's snowed. There have been years where it's been ideal. Um, I think last year we could probably count, except for the very end of the race, as one of the very best. 
Um, it's been warm, concerningly warm, but we, we made the commitment that we'd never run the race if it's too warm for the dogs. And it's been cold. I remember one year being out trail help, which meant I wasn't racing that year or otherwise involved. But I remember having long johns and parka and mittens and hats. I mean, it was really cold. So we definitely have had a variety of of weather conditions as far as the race itself is concerned. It always seems to be a challenge. The race essentially has a, a permanent date in uh, schedule books uh, the first weekend of November every year anymore. And I think that that weekend is part of the challenge with the weather, but it also is nice to have something where people can just plan on being there. They know when it's going to be and it's just going to happen. The race organizers, you guys have just done a phenomenal job of making sure that thing is taken care of and you're very proactive on prepping, making sure that everything will be safe and ready to go. A lot of that, I mean, we do have a, a, a really active local group of people that are willing to help, but also the guys from the camp, you know, they're out there with their lawnmower, their big lawnmower. They're out there with their tractors, with uh, some pieces of equipment that I can't remember the name of, you know, work, working on the, the trail. You know, I just can't say enough about the support that we've gotten from them. We've even had a, a change in management at the Boy Scout camp and that commitment and go for it attitude has stayed with that change in management as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we, we know where we started this, this race in 2006 in 2023. I think we hit records. If I recall correctly. Oh, indeed we did. (laughs) So I've already mentioned in 2006, we started out with 65 or so um, entrants. And I just checked back real quick. And then from from that time on, we would hover between 70, 80, 90 teams throughout most of the next few years. And then we came to 23. I believe I'm right when I say we had 164 entrants. Is that right, Jamie? Uh, the, uh, original entries, I think was 168 and we had four scratches. Scratches. Yep. yep. But yeah, 164 participants yeah. or entries. Yeah. And, and th- that would be something that we never would have expected back in 2006. We're glad it happened. <laughs> don't, yeah. don't get me wrong. It's very, very exciting. Who knew? Who knew? The growth in that race, from what I remember looking at things has been in, uh, one and two dog sports, a lot of bike, door, and scooter increases in participation. Correct. Yes. Correct. I would totally agree with that. Our two dog bike entries in every dryland race out there, but the, the dirty dog seems to really captured them all with something like 40 in a class this year. And it was, it's just quite impressive. But even interestingly enough, this year, the four dog rig class had a significant number of entries as well. Correct. Correct. Yep. Yep. It will be interesting to see the the next few years of this as we continue. Yes. And I, I, I think fortunately, um, again, because of support from the, the scout group, you know, they, when we say, oh, 
we need more space for camping. They certainly do what they can to try to help us out with that. It's amazing. And one of the things, in case anybody out there is listening who's thinking whether or not they might want to start a dry land race, you know, we were very fortunate to have support from the local community and also the Wisconsin Trailblazers. But as our event grew, we were able to become more and more, it became more and more possible for us to stand on, on our own. So now we are, we are able, again, with a ton of volunteerism, we are able to, to stand alone, generate enough financial support to support the, the trophies and the purse and everything that's needed with the race. And, you know, while we started out very low, one of the things that we did do and that helped us get going is the Boy Scouts did not charge us rental for that use of that property. And it, they could have, you know, it could have been very expensive. And now we are able to make a pretty sizable donation back to the Scouts for allowing us to use that property. You know, it's been a an ongoing thing and it, it's, it's very satisfying for me. And I'm sure if you ask Amy and Beth Wagner the same question to know that it's, it's able, the event is able to stand on its own at this point. Yes. It's just uh, watching it as a participant. There's been very few races that I have missed as a, as a driver that it, it's just impressive to watch the changes that you guys have gone through and even to see when the boy scout camp does upgrades on things like the pavilion when that became an option they've always kind of made it a does this help you type of situation like they they put a thought process into including the race itself in everything exactly i i agree i agree so beth part of the extra people that come to this race is yours and ken's participation in including people in learning about the sport, your mentoring and involvement in that direction. And I, one thing that I've always been impressed with is through the Langley County Sled Dog Club, you guys have started, been a little delayed the last couple of years, but the DPS 101, could you tell us a little bit about that? So DPS 101, again, was held at uh, the Boy Scout Reservation in Pearson, and it was hosted by the local Langley County Sled Dog Club, which the focus of that club, although there's a lot of crossover in membership, but we have been very concerned that we keep the two purposes of the club separate. And that is for introducing newcomers to the sport. Maybe they have a dog and they wanna know how they might be able to do can across or um, skeezering or even the winter sports with them, or they already have dogs and they're looking to improve their understanding of training, feeding, and that kind of thing. So we organized a weekend event that included camping if you wanted to camp and invited several of the mostly local, although not always local, experienced mushers to come and hold classes and introduce important topics for for the newcomers to learn. And again, it was designed to be not only educational, but also fun. Some in, uh, national, I guess, personalities came and worked with us, but we did things like how to evaluate 
or work with your puppies and what equipment you needed for a, if you want to try doing the rig class, feeding your dog stories. We had, we had John Malberg came one year all the way from Pennsylvania and he he shared some stories from the trail as well as safety on the trail. It was kind of a two-pronged presentation. So very fun, relaxed, yet very educational. And then one of the things that was very successful, if someone had a dog um, who'd never worked in harness or maybe minimally, we would use one of our experienced leaders and we set up teams so that they could put a harness on their dog and attach it to a gang line and they actually got to see their dog run a short distance on the trail. And that that was, I think, one of the highlights of, of the weekends. Another good event, wonderful, positive weekend for the sport as a whole. It's always been very, very well received. And I know people look for it. Hopefully we'll be able to bring that back soon. Beth, what are your thoughts? Is, is Dryland just going to keep getting bigger? Indeed. Absolutely. You know, I think the weather is going to affect us. I think Unfortunately, the expense is going to affect us. It's very difficult, I think, financially now for a kennel to have 12 dogs to feed and give proper vet care and all the things that you need for training. And, and another, I feel, really significant thing, and, and we're feeling a little bit of that pinch here in Langley County, is to find places to train your dogs. Where, where can you train a team to go 10 miles? It's hard, hard to, to find a location where a dog team is even allowed. So I think I think the answer is going to be people are still going to want to enjoy the sport, but they're going to be finding it's necessary to have smaller kennels. And your house dog, in effect, is also able to do dry land sports. I find that it is going to be more and more the thing in, in the dog-powered sports racing world. I can't argue with you. It's definitely more expensive. You and I both have bigger kennels compared to a lot of our dry land competitors. And, and it's definitely more appealing sometimes to say, hmm. Six or eight dogs at the most would be a lot more feasible at times. In indeed, indeed, yeah. agreed. Well, I greatly appreciate you spending the time talking about this today, Beth. The Dirty Dog Dryland race, I can't lie, is probably the primary reason I am still racing dogs uh, here in 2024. If we have races ever, that race was so friendly and welcoming to newcomers, and it was just a, a great way to get people addicted to the running down the trail for competition, uh, hanging out with people and just thoroughly enjoying all your hard work come together in an event like that. It's a, just a phenomenal event. So thank you to you, Amy and Beth Wagner as well. Um, you guys definitely set the mark pretty high for I think any race to try and attain at this point. So I appreciate that. It does my heart good. I'm glad to know that <laughs> I'm glad to know that one of the key things that we set out to accomplish um, actually happened. And I know Amy and Beth would feel the same way. And I will definitely pass that message on to them. Well, thank you. One of the ways I would like to wrap up all of my podcasts, it can be a tough one to, to talk about, but particularly in Dryland, I think we really gain even further appreciation and respect and love for our canine partners. Many of us do have smaller kennels, so we don't have quite as many dogs to spread the love on out. Those dogs are probably the reason we do what we do. It's not fun without our partners. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about 
a special dog to you. It could be one that set the mark for you and really defined things, kept you in the sport, just overall is your reason for doing what you do today. I would be happy to do that. It has been my extreme pleasure over the years to have the privilege of working with some incredible dogs. Some of them are absolute naturals. All you have to do is put a harness on them and attach them to the gang line. It's not quite that easy because if we had puppies, and oftentimes when you do start your younger dogs, they are puppies, but there's a lot of preliminary work you do. And I love all that. But, you know, some of them just seem to take to it. As we know, they're actually born to it. Other ones, and we've got a dog right now in our kennel that I didn't think was ever going to make it as a sled dog. We called him Stop, Drop, and Roll. You couldn't get him three steps down the trail, but he was down on his back rolling around he wanted absolutely nothing to do with it but he's currently one of and then we call him crazy jerry he turned out to be one of our best dogs but but to answer your your question jamie it's hard for me to pick one dog because like i said it's been my privilege but i would have to say the absolute star sorry there's a dog named taco he's no longer with us He was my main lead dog in my incredible four-dog team that I got to run. He came from Kenny and Lori Cheswick, as many of the very successful um, sled dogs in the Midwest. Um, They come from Kenny and Lori, who have had years and years of experience selecting the right dogs for breeding and matching them up with another dog. He was sired by a dog by the name of Titus. Some of you may recognize that name. He was a phenomenal dog in their kennel. Taco was one of those kinds of dogs where he would look at me and say, okay, what do you want me to do now? Not only was he an incredible lead dog for my winter sled dog team, he did everything from training puppies to going with me for sled dog demonstrations to schools and other other groups. And we did a lot of that and worked with the kids When he got a little bit older, he was a very patient dog that was willing to, I swear he understood there were kids that were on the runners and he was very patient with them. But as far as dry land goes, I did share him with Ken. So when he was running, I I don't think he ever ran a six dog team, but he might have. But uh, frequently he was leading Ken's four dog rig team and then He raced in some two-dog winter races, uh, particularly with Michaela. I don't know if any of the other juniors that we mentored got to run him. He was just a phenomenal dog. I mean, his... He was enthusiastic, but not so enthusiastic that he was impossible to work with. You know, like I I said, he is... He was an absolute joy and a privilege to work with. He truly was. I've I've enjoyed getting to know him over the years, and... uh appreciate the taco grandbabies that are in our backyard as well got some genes running around and and i'm i'm i feel good about that yeah yeah he's a very cool dog well beth thank you very much for taking the time to do this with us i look forward to the next dirty dog race i know that planning is well underway and hopefully we can fit everybody in next year. Indeed, indeed. And I, I would like to say, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm very grateful for what this sport has meant over the years. But I'm also very um, happy to know that you and your partners are continuing um, working on the tradition of the dirty dog. I feel like it's in really good hands. 